Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. This episode features an interview with RJ Zanes, Senior Director of Facilities Maintenance at Sam's Club. Prior to Sam's Club, RJ held operations roles at JLL, Daifuku, and JBT Aerotech. On this episode, RJ discusses maintaining a billion-dollar asset fleet, how he drives accountability through quality assurance, and why his number one goal is providing member delight. But first, a word from our sponsor. Wouldn't you like to rest easy knowing that your brick-and-mortar locations are offering the best possible guest experience? It's time to partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Check out servicechannel.com to learn more. And here's your host, industry and FM technology thought leader and chief business development officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. I'm here today with RJ Zanes. RJ, welcome. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me, Sid. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. So uh, let's dive right in. RJ, what's your role and what are you responsible for? Uh, Sid, so my role is Senior Director of Facilities Maintenance for Sam's Club. Falls under the real estate platform here at Sam's Club. We're responsible for all facilities maintenance and the strategy there around for 597 operating clubs. We also have uh, several e-com fulfillment centers and then all of our dark club portfolio as well. Nice. Before we talk about Sam's Club, right, I love asking all our guests how they ended up in facilities because you hear some of the best stories, right? So, RJ, how'd you end up in facilities? <laughs> well, Sid, that's a long road. Uh, <laughs> a lot of, lot of uh, you know, off the beaten path journey along that road. But uh, no, so I... I've been in construction and facilities maintenance my entire career. My father was a master electrician, so I kind of followed in his footsteps down the electrical path. Started my career as an electrician, then got into project management as I uh, grew in leadership and, uh, you know, furthered my education. And I was doing a ground power upgrade project at the Memphis International Airport. And uh, at that point in time, Delta Airlines and Northwest Airlines were beginning to merge. And... They asked me to jump in and, and run their facilities program. And uh, at that point, I transitioned from an electrician project management and overseeing large construction projects to running a facilities maintenance program. So it was a shift in my career, a pivoting point. Began to run a, a facilities maintenance program, didn't know much about it. So um, got into to build a CMMS uh, or computerized maintenance management system for the first time and you know, made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot and grew in the technology area from an FM perspective. And then uh, I worked there in, in the airline industry running uh, baggage handling systems and ground support equipment maintenance, as well as airport infrastructure maintenance for, for many years. And then I was recruited up to run maintenance for fulfillment centers for a large retailer out of the Pacific Northwest and uh, learned a lot about uh, conveyance systems and robotics and built out maintenance platforms for that retailer before coming over here to Sam's Club. Nice. So tell us more about Sam's Club and about the program that you run within the organization. Yeah, Sam's Club is a uh, big box retailer, right? We operate under a membership model, so people, you know, members pay to shop with us. 
We run um, a fleet of 597 operating clubs, which is, uh, you know, made up of those big boxes that we described a few minutes ago. But we operate in an omni-channel environment. What that really means is that we operate with online sales, with ship from club, with curbside pickup, as well as the brick and mortar stores that we actually maintain. And so we maintain all of that for for Sam's Club here under the FM platform. That's great. We'll talk about that a little bit more later because Sam's Club is a membership warehouse club, right? So customers pay to have a membership and avail of the great product and prices that Sam's Club has to offer. Exactly. So it's important that we maintain great facilities, right? We operate with the mentality of a member obsession. And what that means for us is keeping our fleet of assets at the optimal state from a physical aesthetic appearance perspective, as well as operations perspective. And so it's vital that we operate with that member obsession from a real estate platform perspective to ensure that we drive member delight, right? I mean, I want all of our members to have a delightful experience as they as they shop with us. And you know, from the time that they pull into our parking lot and they see our building facade to the time that they walk to our doors and experience a nice, bright, clean environment, to the time that they walk over to our refrigeration equipment and our product is readily available on time every time that they walk into our facilities. That's awesome. Before we double click on that, I want to end this segment by asking a question about, you know, a surprising or an interesting stat about your company or the industry. I think everybody loves a great Sam's Club rotisserie chicken, right, Sid? And uh, pretty cool stat is one, we produce around 40 plus million rotisserie chickens per year. About 1% of uh, Americans have a rotisserie chicken on the table every night for dinner, which is pretty unique. And any given night, 1% of America has a Sam's Club rotisserie chicken for dinner. 1% of American households have a Sam's Club rotisserie chicken for dinner. That's correct. That's a pretty cool stat. All right, let's jump into our next segment. Let's talk about some big picture objectives and the way teams can move them across the goal line. We're going to go inside. We're going to go outside, inside and outside. We're going to get them on the run, boys. Once we get them on the run, we're going to keep them on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop until we get across that goal line. So, RJ, What are Sam's Club's goals for the type of customer experience you want to deliver? And do you think that there are higher standards considering Sam's Club is, like we mentioned, a membership warehouse club? Yeah, of course. Of course. Right. So our goal is to, one, continue to serve our our members, right, Uh, in any way that they want to shop, right, whether that be coming to our club to shop inside the club, whether that be to order ahead and and pick up a curbside, whether that be to order online or have things shipped to them, right? And our goal is to um, to drive that member obsession and and provide that experience in any, you know, way that the member wants to shop. And I think it is, it's vitally important that we set a higher standard for for our members. We want to ensure that when they come to shop with us, that, um, like I said, it's a delightful experience, that when they come to our club, it's a neat clean, safe environment that when they come to shop with us and they're coming to purchase a member's mark brand, that it's readily available to them every time that they come in. We do not want to disappoint. And and our goal is to ensure that that we get 100% uh, member satisfaction. 
And the way that we go about that is driving consistency, right? And and that means quantifying the conditions of of our fleet, understanding where the gaps lie, and putting programs in place to to close those gaps and and sustain the closure of those gaps. Yeah, I, I love that you mention member obsession and you talk about customer delight. That's so important, right? I mean, in retail in general, you want to have the customer feel special when they walk in and that you care. But that expectation, I think, is even more when the customer is choosing to pay you for the ability to walk into your into your store, into your club. And so that, you know, they're basically changing their shopping habits so that they come into a Sam's Club and they buy everything for the whole family, right? It's you buy your, your children's clothes, you buy your food, you buy, you know, all the items you need in your to run your household. You're pretty much spending an hour, uh, I know because I do it with my family, right? And 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 it's like an outing. You buy everything and and in stock up, right? Uh, so there's 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 an expectation that when they walk in, the facility feels warm and welcoming. RJ, you and I have actually walked a Sam's Club together, and I, I'd say this the same way you said about member obsessed. I think you are also very obsessed about making sure that your assets are always up, so no or low downtime, because they essentially hold the the, the biggest assets that you have in, in the location, which is your product. Sam's Club locations are are as large as they get. So what does your asset management strategy look like? Yeah, no, I said, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, members come to shop with us to buy bulk, right? I mean, you think about the changing economy with COVID and the way that it impacted the way that individuals purchase products, right? They purchased in bulk because, you know, they shifted from working at a, a brick and mortar office to working from home. Even in today's environment, you know, working from hybrid situation, it's still that demand. And then there's supply chain issues. And so people are going to stock up to offset those supply chain issues and they'll continue to. And it's important that our product is readily available to them on time every time. And so our asset strategy is really 100% around providing that member delight, right? I'm 100% obsessed with maintenance. I'm very passionate about it. I've done it for a long time and, and I absolutely love it. And I wouldn't want to do anything else other than one I do today. And if you think about an asset strategy and you think about lifecycle asset management and lifecycle asset modeling and really working to lower the total cost of ownership by optimizing your uptime, you talked about reducing downtime and, you know, getting to know downtime, right? But there's a pivotal moment in that lifecycle asset strategy where, it, you know, you can overinvest in an asset to try to get to 100%, you know, uptime, which may cause a higher total cost of ownership than what's needed. And so you've got to work to find the optimal uptime for a specific asset. And what that really means is balancing investments into an asset against the cost of downtime and finding out where those two meet to identify what your optimal uptime state is for that specific asset. And so that's what we work on here quite heavily is identifying the optimal uptime states through all of the means of investment from proactive maintenance to reactive maintenance to um, predictive maintenance to condition-based monitoring to spare parts programs 
all of that kind of stuff from an investment perspective, and then determining how each of those are going to offset downtime and what the cost of that downtime is, right? And that's things like lost product, lost sales, lost productivity hours, right? And so we work to balance all of that to identify that optimal uptime state um, for our members, right? So when they come shop with us, it's there. Right. Um, and, and further, we want to ensure that we are quantifying the conditions of our assets. Right. We want to ensure that we understand exactly where those uh, opportunities lie within our buildings, whether that be lighting levels, whether that be, you know, floor gloss scores, whether that be our restrooms and the need for updating from a, a fixture perspective or whether that be on our landscaping and we've got dead trees or, or other. Right. We want to ensure that we quantify those conditions and understand exactly where those gaps lie so we can work to pinpoint investment, but then also drive accountability through means of quality assurance. So that's fantastic, right? I mean, you you talk about floor gloss score and lighting levels, because clearly, I mean, that makes an impact on what the customer feels in the club. Lighting levels affect how produce can look, how any product can look. Floor levels, you know, can make a store feel clean or the other way around, right? You're pretty scientific about what is the ideal state. How do you go about that? Who do you work with within the organization to understand the impact of these different physical assets or spaces on the customer experience? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we do get uh, very scientific with it. I mean, you know, we're in the day and age of technology and we're able to pulse um, assets to to get all types of information out of specific assets. And, and then we, we build asset condition quantification audits to get out to understand the physical appearance and state of our assets as well. And so we work across our entire organization, right? Uh, you know, every, everything from reliability engineers or asset managers to our facilities managers to then third parties that come in to, to help us, right, uh, to build out these strategies, whether that be building an optimal uptime model for a specific asset or whether that be executing a, um, a non-biased asset condition quantification audit. Surround myself with a lot of smart people. There is a lot of smart people, and uh, and you know we work together to build these models and and these uh, specific products to quantify those conditions, utilize that data to make uh, better data-driven decisions. And it's important to do so. Otherwise, think about maintenance for all of those years where we've been doing preventative maintenance, and you ultimately can have false positives. You may be doing a PM on a specific piece of equipment where it may not be needed. We can get a little bit more granular with that and focus our maintenance activity and the cost there around to exactly where it's needed, when it's needed, and why it's needed versus just doing a PM for sake of scope, right? And so we try to get down to that level to pinpoint investments, optimize our uptime, and optimize our spend into the business to lower our total cost of ownership over time. That's great. Hey, I want to talk about how you've developed those partnerships um, in our next segment. But before that, I want to ask you about some challenges. What do you think has been some of the challenges that you've seen in your program in living up to the full potential of, of the impact you can have on the brand? What do you think our industry faces in terms of challenges and making the impact that they can have on their respective brands? 
That's a great question, Sid. We're always going to run into challenges. Uh, we're always going to run into problems, and that's what we're here for, right? We're here to solve problems. We're here to overcome those challenges um, as a team. And I think, you know, from my perspective, um, in individual challenges or challenges with my within my organization, they're broad and they're pinpointed. Um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm seeing the same challenges as everyone else, right? Uh, in this, uh, you know, day and age with the way the economy swings are happening, and how rapid they're happening uh, from a supply chain issue standpoint to uh, an inflation standpoint, fuel costs, right? Things are, they're not getting cheaper, right? <laughs> they're continuing to become more expensive. So you you get a lot of pressure from a cost perspective. There's delay in supply chain, which is uh, limiting our ability to maintain spare parts levels that we'd like them to and or even build spare parts programs for specific pieces of equipment because you can't hardly get the parts there uh, to build a supply internally. And so I think those are some of the bigger, broader challenges. I think, uh, you know, if you think about internally and not so broad, we continue to run into resource challenges, right? And that's natural. And that's, uh, it'll happen within any organization, but we're challenged with it just as well with uh, operating from a lean perspective. You know, you want to move uh, things very fast. You want to get things accomplished. You got these big, broad goals, but you got to sit back and be realistic. What can we actually accomplish and in what time frame? And then work to uh, to prioritize each of the actions that you want to take to get to that North Star, right? It's important to to get that North Star out there. Keep that North Star out there. Plan to get to that North Star with specific key actions and then work to prioritize those actions based on the resources that you do have. And that's what we do here as a team. We've got specific, we get that specific North Star out there to become the world's, you know, most reliable and sustainable real estate platform on earth. And we've got specific key strategic actions that we take and we keep in front of us on a daily basis. And we work down each of those actions and we reprioritize those actions as as the dynamics continue to change. As, uh, you know, there's, there's short-term wins that come that hey, we need to make right then or spare parts challenges that that hit us that we've got now have to pivot on and, and things like that. But it's important to set that North Star out there and uh, really work through those actions and uh, reprioritize around those actions as the dynamics do change. That's awesome. I mean, I love that you said being the most reliable real estate platform or program in the world. Like you, that that's a that's a big goal. And I love that your North Star is that kind of ambition, right? It's it's that's that's fantastic. You know, one of the things that you mentioned also is about supply chain issues. It's a very relevant issue in today's world. I, I see that happening, you know, across all sorts of brands and, and programs. And it's not just affecting facilities, it's affecting all industries. Do you think there are any other changes, you know, good or bad, right, that have happened in the past three years worth talking about? You know, some things have gotten better and some things have become more challenging. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, there's there's many things that have changed that have caused us to pivot and or dig deeper into certain areas. I think one of the, the biggest, from, from my perspective anyway, in the facilities maintenance organization or facilities maintenance industry is technology, right? Technology continues to move forward. And it's important to capitalize on those technology changes. That's everything from the way that uh, we're building out computerized maintenance management systems these days to condition-based monitoring systems and, and 
digging into leading indicators versus monitoring lagging indicators like in my area, right? Some in temperature on a refrigeration unit, that is a lagging indicator. If we're only monitoring temperature, it's too late, right? I'm, you know, by the time temperature rises, I'm losing product, I'm losing sales, I'm, you know, not meeting the expectation of my member. And so it's important to embrace that technology and start to overlay condition-based monitoring systems on our equipment to monitor leading indicators. Instead of temperature, we're monitoring amp draw, we're monitoring vibration, we're monitoring door switches, we're monitoring float uh, switches to, to ensure that we're identifying uh, condensation drain pans that are, you know, about to overflow. All of that kind of stuff is really what we need to be looking at. And we need to embrace that technology. The advancement of technology these days is, is really where we need to focus and, and start to um, pull on that data that's available to make those data-driven decisions that you described earlier, Sid, to, to really um, allow us to focus where the value actually is versus driving false positives. So let's move to our next segment and talk about how you do it. This is how we do. How do you make facilities relevant across the organization, across all conversations? You do a lot within your organization, partnering with different teams to have this scientific approach to managing your facilities and your assets and understanding what kind of optimized levels lead to better outcomes for your consumer. You know, do you think other facilities teams across different organizations are able to articulate their value in the same way? How do you do it? Now, great question, Sid. I think, you know, yes, other facilities programs are able to, but are they, right? I would ask that question. You know, I think uh, you know, many times over, and I'm guilty of it as well, especially earlier on in my career, uh, we're focused on my line, right? Uh, in facilities, unless you're a for-profit facilities program, you're an expense line, right? And so you're monitoring that expense on, you're looking to reduce facilities cost as many others are. If you're looking to re reduce it, so are others, right? And so it's important to portray you know, what facilities is all about and, and exactly where that value comes in. And it's not about reducing maintenance costs, not solely, right? It is in a sense, but it's really about the overall impact from a maintenance investment perspective. And as I described earlier, as you start to identify the optimal uptime state for your assets or the ideal facilities condition of your facility, identifying where those returns come from, because they're not always on your maintenance line, right? There are a lot of times and the biggest impact is, you know, uh, from an operations perspective, lost sales, lost product, lost, lost productivity hour. Identify where those returns are truly going to come from as you work to invest in your business. And so I think um, from my perspective, as I described earlier, it's really about working across the broader team, right, to develop all of this. It's not um, us here in facilities from a reliability engineering standpoint, dreaming all of this stuff up on our own and going to execute it. It's gaining buy-in from merchants. It's gaining buy-in from operators. It's gaining buy-in from our leadership committee where we bring the data to the table to showcase where we need to pinpoint investment. As I, I talked about earlier, we can quantify the lighting levels across every bit of 597 clubs. I can quantify the gloss score. I can quantify how many dead trees, how many linear footing of fencing. And I take all of that and I show it to them to showcase, hey, what this looks like, where we need to invest, why we need to invest, and how it's going to drive value back to our business. 
I love that you you mentioned the word invest so many times because I couldn't agree with you more. Our industry has a massive PR problem, right? RJ, you and I have spoken about this many times. Our facilities teams, to your, like like you just mentioned, don't focus on investments and the ROI of those investments and how they ultimately impact the the brand and the consumer experience because you're always behind the eight ball, like you're putting out fires. And so you're you're trying to cut costs more than you're trying to articulate uh, what it will cost you if you don't fix up certain things or if you don't have the right physical space and experience that a consumer walks in expecting. And so you're always doing more with less, which is good. I mean, all departments and all industries should be efficient and do more with less. But I think it's also about, you know, making your voice heard about why your team exists and the value they create and ultimately the impact it has on the brand. And if you can make that argument and if you can stand up on your soapbox and talk about it, then you can have conversations about investing in the team, in the program, because it makes a huge difference. You know, when when a customer walks into a physical space and they look around, they're seeing the brand. And part of that brand is the physical space itself, which is managed, maintained, and preserved by the facilities team, right? Absolutely. I think you think about facilities maintenance. I mean, we're we're like the utility company. Nobody cares about us until the lights go out, right? right. Everybody's complaining, right? So uh, exactly. that's been that's kind of the way I, I see it. But it's it Sid, I see it as our responsibility to help manage the broader PNL, right? And work across all of those lines to to tell the story behind the investment in facilities and the offset on other lines and help our operators, our merchants and others, our leaders understand and how to balance that PNL. Because ultimately we're only one line, but we impact many other lines on that PNL. And if we don't invest properly and scientifically, there will be a miss. I love it. So speaking of investments, can you share the kind of investments or the biggest investments you've made that have the biggest impact in your organization? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of them, right? Everything from uh, technology, condition-based monitoring systems, where we're starting to invest a little bit more heavily now to preventative maintenance, where we didn't have it before, and and working to uh, to build the business cases behind those preventative maintenance programs, to asset condition quantification. I guess maybe I can elaborate there a little bit more. You know, we've built out a specific asset condition quantification audit that is very objective. And I kind of hinted to it a little bit earlier where we're able to quantify the lighting levels in, in every corner of our building as we take lighting level readings on 100 points within a building to how many dead trees, to the gloss scores, to how many linear footing of caulking in a restroom is bad and needs to be replaced. We've built that out and we have auditors, uh, non-biased third-party auditors go out to quantify those conditions twice a year. So we can work from there to pinpoint where we need to make investments um, from a physical appearance perspective, as well as an operations perspective. Uh, we gain a lot of our operation 
the equipment operation data for equipment uptime and other from condition-based monitoring systems as well as um, our CMMS system to make that uh, optimal uptime decision. But we don't often get the physical aspects of those specific pieces of equipment. So if you think about refrigeration and you think about refrigerated boxes, um, I can only see so much from an operations perspective. I can't see that this box needs a batten reseal, right? I can't see that kind of stuff. And so with that, you know, box being split, needing a batten reseal, I'm losing, uh, you know, temperature. Um, I'm wasting utility, right? And continuing to drive an unsustainable operation. And so it's important that we invest in that manner that we quantify those conditions. And as we repair those conditions, we re-audit and watch our facilities condition index continue to head in the right direction, right? So, um, and, and one of the ways that we've built it out is we've got four key areas. We've got 36 specific systems that we identify and 378 individual elements that we uh, work to quantify in each of those systems to create a f- overall facilities condition index score. And from that standpoint, point, we can pivot it, filter it, identify where we need to invest and identify where the value is. So before we jump into our final section, I always love asking our guests about fun, crazy, interesting stories that they can share from their career, because in facilities, there's a lot of fascinating stories, right? There is, there is. I think one of them for me was, uh, I talked about earlier and kind of how I got into facilities in my career path there a little bit. The first time I ever built out a computerized maintenance management system, I failed big. Like I got into building asset module, Sid, and I built the asset module down into every light fixture was an individual asset within that asset module. And my technicians absolutely hated me for it. <laughs> like, RJ, there's no way we're going to be able to operate like this. Um, and, and, Fundamentally, I had to take it all out and rebuild our entire asset module as a young leader in the facilities maintenance organization. I, I laugh now, you know, that I've become an expert in this area, per se, as I look back at the mistakes I made. But uh, I would tell everybody else out there, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You're going to do things like that and, and you're going to look back. And, and guess what? I learned from it. It was a big investment to get them in there in the first place, just to ball it up and toss it out to then re-implement and re-upload all of those assets and but it was it was funny as I look back on it uh, but it was a big learning experience for me and I learned a lot and tell you I learned more about a CMMS system than I ever thought I would when I first started that up and I learned down into the details of it and and was really able to to build a reliability centered maintenance program um, from that learning that helped me along in my career so no I love it I mean if you're not making mistakes, it just means that you're not pushing yourself enough, right? You're not, you're not going to learn anything. So yeah, that's awesome. Love it. All right. Let's jump into our our final segment and um, let's talk about the future. The future. The future. The future. But before we talk about the future, let's talk about the past, right, RJ? How do you think the industry has evolved over the past 10 years? Over the past 10 years, I think uh, the industry has evolved quite substantially, right? I mean, I mentioned it earlier, some of the biggest changes as tech. We've continued to refine technology. Uh, we've continued to identify ways to gather specific component level data to make uh, better data-driven decisions. I think that's the biggest game changer. Um, if you think about 10 
you know, 15 years ago, many companies, and there's, there are many companies out there now that were doing work orders via paper methodology, right? And then people started to get into uh, computerized maintenance management systems. And then, you know, they would log all of their stuff on a piece of paper during the day and then go back and upload it into a CMMS system. And now it's evolved into mobile technology where we're scanning asset tags and collecting data against individual assets and working to identify performance levels of our associates or technicians out there in the field to how long it's taking on individual specific, um, you know, pieces of equipment to perform reactive, proactive work, to then even starting to move into standard operating procedures embedded into CMMS systems with videos, right, to bring on new technicians. And if they're going out to do a PM, it's a video right there that they can pull up to look at, show them what tools they need, how long it should take, what moves to make, to now condition-based monitoring systems to overlay against your specific assets to to gather that component-level data and and really um, help you make optimal decisions and move moving away from preventative maintenance because now you're monitoring conditions and pinpointing where you should go fix things versus just going out there to perform a PM and, and, you know, getting hit with false positives. So I think technology is the biggest game changer that uh, has evolved um, in the facilities maintenance realm. And there's so much more out there that's been, you know, that hasn't been explored from a technology perspective. And I think it's only going to get better. You know, think, you think about kind of where things are headed with the virtual reality space. What does that look like for for maintenance in the future? I have no idea. Like, it, it's going to be pretty cool. I know that uh, I've explored with other companies, like training via VR and, and things like that. But, um, I mean, imagine, you know, putting a VR on here at the home office and walking through a facility and seeing the controls on your specific refrigeration and equipment and seeing exactly what it looks like but sitting here in the home office i can only imagine what it's going to look like and and the you know the the changes that are going to be made as technology continues to evolve no i couldn't agree with you more i think technology has come a long way and we're in a transformational era the challenges that we face today are are happening because of the environment we live in and with covid and all the different challenges that relate to the labor shortage, all of that has an impact on our space and technology and data are, are what's going to help us get through it, right? Anything that you see in terms of rising trends in consumer behavior or COVID-related shifts that you think are here to stay, RJ? I think that there's a lot that's here to stay. I mean, I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, Sid, but, uh, you know, when COVID first hit, right, everybody went home and, and everybody had to figure out how to work from home and the Zoom environment, and you know, came about and the Teams environment came about. And, but people changed habits and how they bought product, right? Um, you know, they went out and started to bulk buy, right, To um, because hey, you needed more toilet paper at your house now, but you know, you're know you not using it at work like you were, right? So you think about all that kind of stuff. So um, there was a fundamental shift. And and even in today, um, you know, today's work environment, a lot of companies are going uh, more hybrid or remote, right? And so some of those habits from a purchasing perspective are, are here to stay, 
you know, so I think, you know, that's been a fundamental shift that will continue to be around again, you know, with the evolving supply chain issues. People are, you think about the baby formula situation right now where there's a big shortage. Everybody's trying to buy as much as they can. And so guess what? That's going to be a habit that they make uh, into the future. And so guess what Sam's Club does, right? We we sell in bulk, right? So people are going to go to Sam's Club and, and others that they can buy in bulk because they don't want to have that same situation arise again for their family, for their children. Um, so I think those are going to be things that are that are here to stay. And I'm excited about it because it's, uh, you know, it's fun. It's fun overcoming those challenges and, and working to solve those problems. And it's going to be on us from a facilities perspective. I'm going to spin it back into to facilities. You know, I think it's fun to be challenged with ensuring that we are optimizing our uptime, creating the consistent environment for our consumers, and ensuring that it's a neat, clean, safe environment for our members and our customers abroad. That's great. I want to also add to what you mentioned as well earlier about, you know, AR and VR technology that that could help solve a lot of problems in our space. I think that one area that may be where there's opportunity is, you know, there's a lot of labor shortage in our space, right? There's a aging talent that's kind of going to retire in the next few years, and there's not enough new talent coming in. I think providers and facilities programs are feeling it, right? Costs are going up, and then combine that with supply chain issues, it's a challenging time. And I think that we're going to see some technological advancements that help solve those problems in the long run. I think it's going to be an exciting few years, for sure. I absolutely agree, Sid. I couldn't agree more. I, I, you think about the labor shortages, the technical capability shortages. Um, I was on a, a board uh, for the National Science Foundation to try to solve the labor shortages and the the skilled labor industry for a long time. And ultimately, we're seeing a shortage. And we've got to get creative with how we market, um, you know, the skilled labor area to high school students, to college students and others to bring more supply into the industry. But because we have that shortage, right, we've got that shortage of, of knowledge of fixing things, right, turning wrenches and, and getting out there and, and getting dirty. I grew up in the industry. I loved it, you know, and it's on us to build that passion back in our young to, to push them in that area. But, but it's also on us to your point to, um, to lean on technology to help those that are coming into this industry, pinpointing exactly where they need to focus on that specific piece of equipment. You think back in the day when a refrigeration tech or an electrician went out to a building, the equipment was down. They had to go and diagnose it. They had to go find it uh, and figure it out. With the technology these days, we can pinpoint exactly where that problem lies and tell the technician exactly where to go. One, it uh, mitigates the time factor and drives efficiency. But then two, it's going to help those that are newly coming into this industry learn and fix things more efficiently, more effectively. That's great. RJ, any last words of wisdom or advice that you would give to our audience, folks that are in your position, but are part of programs that maybe aren't as mature as the team or, or program that you've built at Sam's Club? What would you say is a good way for them to start on this journey? Yeah, I think, uh, Sid, one, um, and I say this often, be patient. <laughs> you can't you can't eat that whole elephant at once. But I, I think, two, start with the foundation. 
you, you've got to tag your assets, understand, you know, your spend, your age, your downtime, the models that you have out there that are failing more often than others. And you've got to start to overlay condition-based monitoring systems. You got to start to quantify the conditions of your assets. Think down those lines, but really identify your North Star. What is it that you're trying to do for your organization? Identify that North Star and build a specific action plan with your team. And then work that action plan daily like, and keep that in front of your people. I think it's important to keep the mission, the vision, and approach in front of your team so they continue to focus on that North Star and the actions that they're taking are directed to that North Star. And then work those actions, reprioritize those actions as, as the dynamics are going to change. They are going to continue to change. Work to reprioritize those actions, but stay focused and be patient and work things one at a time. That'd be my advice. I love it. Well, with that, RJ, just want to say thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's always great talking to you. Really appreciate you being here. Awesome. Appreciate you, Sid. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. And um, to all in our audience, thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast brought to you by Service Channel. Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Go to servicechannel.com to learn more. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rate and review.